Welcome back. Welcome back to Two Teachers and a Mic. We are your hosts. I'm Halim. I'm Remington. And today we have a very special guest, our senior political correspondent. Mm, uh, come on. None other than Ethan Tillman. Ethan, say what's up to the folks, man. How are y'all doing? Uh, my name's Ethan, and happy to be here. There you go. Ethan Tillman Esquire. There you go. <laughs> Sir, Sir Ethan Tillman. Put them, let, you better put the, hey, you, when y'all niggas work hard for them letters at the end of y'all's name, put them up there, <laughs> shit. Um, Ethan, why don't you tell the people what you want them to know about you? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Tell us what you want sure, us to know. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, I am a lawyer, uh, currently based in DC. Um, been in practice for officially a couple of months graduated a year ago hey um, and uh i guess so i i work um daytime as a lawyer moonlight as a political analyst sort of um correspondent and and i don't know hobbyist i guess and i <laughs> do a co-host uh, co-host podcast called the blank agenda um, which is a Work- political and pop culture podcast where can they find the blank agenda um, most streaming platforms, probably the one you're listening to this one on. Sweet. Perfect. Yeah. So it's on Spotify and it's on iTunes and is it on SoundCloud though? We were on SoundCloud. I don't know if we still are. We're yeah. on Anchor though. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, so then I think Anchor just puts you out on everything. Um, yeah. So a little <laughs> bit of background. I've known Ethan now for shit, eight years. We started we became yes. educators together in Eastern North Carolina. We met in, in TFA and we were roommates for a hot minute and we were doing the thing, teaching the children <laughs> how to do what it well, do. It was obviously way better. Yes. At it. Well, <laughs> well, so, one well, of, of us is still teaching the children. Thanks. <laughs> Hey, one might assume (laughs) God gives us all gifts and talents, right? Mm. We just thank Mm. him for the treasures he's placed Mm. in earthen vessels. (laughs) Don't bury him now. Don't bury your talents. Come on. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, I'm excited to have Ethan here. We're going to talk a little bit more about, um, what we're going to talk about, but first hope what you got for us for this, uh, for this check-in. I um I challenged myself today because I don't know how I'm gonna answer this question, but uh morning meeting check-in question is at what age do you think someone becomes an adult and Ooh. why? Ooh. So first of all, Holt um he never tells us these questions in advance. He never tells me the questions in advance. Uh, obviously he knows them. And, th- and he asked me if I wanted, if I wanted to know, and I was like, nah, I wish I would have gotten in advance on this one. Um, I'll, how about this? I'll go first. And then Ethan, you can go and then Holt, you'll go. Okay. Okay. Um, damn. I don't know. I mean, I want to say I want to say 18, right? But like we know there's nuance and variance there. But I want to say 18 because in the eyes of the law, you're an adult. Um like you you can fucking register to vote, you can buy a pack of cigs. Can't drink yet, but you know, you are an adult in the eyes of the law. Um and I think like unfortunately that that also doesn't coincide with like your mental capacities but i'm gonna go with 18 just because like from a from a very sort of legal standpoint you are an adult and you have all the sort of rights privileges and bills as it were of an adult (laughs) what you got Ethan? that's a good answer um i don't know i'm thinking more about like i don't know like my mental place i guess like Mm. like mentally like maturity and all those sorts of things i feel like a lot of that didn't really hit for me until i was like 21 22 23 somewhere around there um you know i feel like college some a little bit is like an extension of (laughs) i don't want to say childhood but like those teenager years and so for Mm -hmm. me i wouldn't really uh really say i was an adult in college i was like in this suspension zone for four years (laughs) but i think around like 22 23 is when i started thinking 
you know, like, hey, you know, my actions and um, my uh, decisions have consequences. So I'd say that's when you become an adult, when you realize those sorts of things. You know, as usual, I'm about to bust this question wide open on the dance Face. floor. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, Ethan, when you were talking about like the extension of child or teenage years or childhood or adolescence or whatever in college, um, I, when I was an undergrad, I did a double major in child like development and just how people develop. And at that time, and this was like 2008, 2009, the book that we were reading in the developmental psychology class, they were toying with this idea of adding a concept called middle adolescence because mm. the law says 18, but research says prefrontal cortex, the decision-making area of your brain is not fully developed until 25 and so you know mm. these particular folks were pushing for we got seven years right now in limbo where niggas be getting treated like grown folks but everything <laughs> about science and development says no nigga don't do that don't whatever <laughs> you, you are not, do you're not grown you're you. not grown <laughs> and so it's funny to look back 10 years ago now and be like whoo child we needed that because yeah. how old is donald trump and he still ain't here yeah. he still his prefrontal cortex still ain't developed so i think it's contextual it depends like and you know one of the things about working in schools where and you know y'all like y'all know i do diversity equity and inclusion work when i go to the white schools these kids are very underdeveloped con compared to the kids that i taught when i was teaching in metro yep like we had a kid who was responsible for six siblings before 7.45 in the morning. Yep. That nigga was more grown than some of the teachers. Than some of the grown for. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just, I, I, it's, it, it depends. It's contextual. Yeah. There's nuance. You know, that's how yes. I feel. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I, I'll never forget my first day teaching. I was like, so there's not going to be somebody else in the classroom, like a real adult, like, <laughs> They were talking, coming in, I had to introduce myself as Mr. Genius, and I'm just like, wait, oh, so I am the adult in this room right now. Like, <laughs> You know, Halim, I, I don't know if you know, well, I'm sure you do, you're very cognizant of your words, but you used to give that to them white women. You realize you're the adult in the room. Like, you would say that all the time. So, whoever the adult in the room is, and you, you know you didn't have to say whoever, because it was only one of them. <laughs> But you would always be like, so who whoever. is the adult in the room? Yeah. Whoever the adult in the room is yeah. should. <laughs> you want them niggas to have to discover for themselves. Oh, Face. you're talking about me? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, you right. <laughs> oh, that's my responsibility. Right. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a good question because... Interestingly enough, I was thinking about that um, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about I have a couple of students. I so I don't think we've talked a lot about my sort of turnaround situation at my school. We're making a lot of progress, but I have a couple of students who due to the past sort of school leaders indiscretion are turning 16 or have turned 16 and so we were talking about you know in the state of new york and just like in north carolina they can decide if they want to continue their educational career by the age of 16 and so it would wow. behoove them to have been on track or past track um Either way, would have behooved them to not be in eighth grade when they turn 16 um, if there was sort of a high likelihood or potential for them to um, graduate high school and go to college uh, or choose a career. Um, so anyway, I, I, I've been considering sort of like what is adulthood? It's, you know, like most other things, obviously, a social construct. But uh, that was a really that was a really good question. Um, Y'all ready to jump into the shit? I am. I'm hyped. Y'all, I'm glad Yo. to be back. Yeah. I feel, and just so y'all know, the listeners, I don't know why I'm feeling this right now, but I think Halim Genus is about to be in his bag. 
Hey! I just I feel it in the atmosphere. Come on, come on, talk to me. About to be in his bag, so y'all better buckle up. Man, buckle up. This ain't this ain't keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> this ain't supposed to be that kind of show, but I'll speak in tongues in a heartbeat. Um, yeah, I'm excited about this episode too. Uh, Ethan is only our second guest ever uh yeah the you you should as well you should be uh the 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 honor is all yours i assure you now that's that's dr wb du bois for you no i'm excited for this episode because there is a lot to talk about and a lot to cover um for context and for reference and for transparency ethan has been one of the people ethan and remington have been two men in my life who have helped me sort of contextualize the state of the world that we're in right now like we are very much in a new era um, or error, if, if you want to be, if you want to be punny, uh, and these two brothers have definitely helped me sort of make better sense of where we are, sort of where I am under the cosmos. And so I'm, um, eternally appreciative, uh, to them, to both of them for that. And so I was like, why not get all these brothers in one space and, and talk about the shit? But Joe Biden is the heir apparent. <laughs> <laughs> of the U.S. presidency. What's he going to be, number 46? I don't know. And Donald Trump is downright... He's starting to release his grip a little bit, but he's like, no. Nah. That's not, the, that's not true. And that's what I want to talk about. What the fuck is going on? What's going on? What's happening? Marvin Gaye posed the most provocative interrogative of... What is going on? What the fuck is going on? What's happening? I just want y'all to know I just found my way into my bag too cuz I mean I didn't recognize that I I was going to have something to say, but that just your intro just fired me to fuck up, please. Come on. That <laughs> Come on. Bro. Get fired up. Get fired bro. up. My man's is wild. Like, somebody uh, somebody on my timeline last night posted what's been um something joyous that's happened to you this week somebody black said biden harris won the election a Come few on. more times hey but hey i was with it i was like you're right, right. <laughs> shit but uh should we have ethan start off he's the political i would love analyst? i would love for ethan to sort of just situate us contextualize us mm. like where are we now i think biden's at what 306 um, 306 uh, okay. electoral votes. I think Trump is at two. Uh, oh man, I'm gonna get it wrong if I try. Whatever, we don't have fact uh, checkers. Our listeners are not fact checkers. <laughs> whatever 538 minus 306 is, that's where Trump is. Um, and uh, I mean, Joe Biden won uh, five million more uh, popular votes than Donald Trump did. Um, both, I mean, it, it should be stated though that this is like an historic election as far as voter turnout. Um, mm-hmm. Almost, I mean, just between those two, I think Trump had uh, Biden had uh, seventy-eight million votes. Trump had like seventy-three million votes. So, like, you're talking about almost one hundred and fifty million people actually participating in uh, this election, which I mean, it never happens. Uh, yeah, had it not been for Joe Biden's vote total, Donald Trump would have the most votes of all time of any uh, American uh, candidate for the presidency. Mm-hmm. We need so, to remember that. He has the most votes for yeah. any sitting president, though. He has the most votes for any sitting president. For popular votes. Yeah. Um, popular insane. votes, yeah. And uh, and I saw I saw something, I saw a tweet this morning that said that um, uh, the 306 electoral votes that Biden has it's the same amount Trump had in 2016 yep. when he lost the popular vote by three million votes. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's there's also that layer of like how our popular vote and our electoral vote system, you know, sort of contradict. But uh, but just to sort of sit for a moment in this idea that Donald Trump got 73 million yeah. people yeah. to leave their houses mm-hmm. during a pandemic. Most of them left their houses exactly. Um, 
a lot of people did not, a lot of people who voted for Trump didn't mail in their ballot. They mm-hmm. left their house to vote. Um, and they did that for the guy who used to run The Apprentice <laughs> and who has poorly managed, mismanaged this country for the last four years. Yeah. Um, there's there's something so to be that's said. That's where we are. <laughs> there, there's something to be said there, though, where you have, um, and I told, I told the group a long time ago, what was it was the vice presidential debate, and I was like, I wasn't going to vote, <laughs> and, and folks were down <laughs> my neck, and the vice presidential debate, I was like, I'm voting, but I'm voting for Kamala Harris, like she's the reason I'm going to go vote. She right. energized me to vote. It was definitely not Joe Biden, um, but there's something to be said about like these two different camps mobilized 150 million people in total, and yeah. for two almost contradistinct reasons like i want to get into the weeds of like what the what is that about like how does that happen because i'm not (laughs) i'm not a vote and i hesitate to share this shit i am not a voter i don't i think it's my biggest excuse has been it is inconvenient with the expansion of absentee and and vote by mail like that kind of goes out the door for me uh, which is Mm -hmm. how i voted but I'm not a big voter, but this this election seemed important, and I participated. <laughs> um, well, I would say just sorry. I just want to throw one more ahead. stat out. Um, so, of that 73 million people who voted for Donald Trump, the 78 million that voted for Joe Biden, 56 of the 56 percent, um, and one poll I looked at, 56 percent of the people who voted for Donald Trump said that they turned out uh, for the election to vote for Donald Trump. I think it was something like uh, over half of the people who voted for Joe Biden said that they turned out for the election, not so much to vote for Joe Biden, but to vote against Donald Trump. Mm. So like, just to sort of add gas to this fire, like (laughs) these people are showing up to vote for him Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I mean, I, I mean, more or less, you could look at that and say like, Donald Trump turned out 150 million people. Yeah, for this election, basically more yeah. so than Joe Biden did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that is, I don't know. Like, there are so many ways. I feel like I'm in a, a data meeting right now. There are so many <laughs> ways you can interpret this and spin it. Part of me, you know, I work on the human side of education and equity of like, and I'm just like a relationship oriented person. So I am always asking the question: What about people? got the results that we got. And I think it says a lot that although Donald Trump was terrible at his job and he had a horrendous, like a horrific message, people needed, they needed a message so badly that Mm -hmm. his, his did it. Yep. It's like, you know, like we were so unmotivated. We were so downtrodden. We were so aloof that when the fire that he brought came through it ignited people in a way that i think before this happened i think most people would have been like oh people americans don't really give they don't care they're lazy they don't like really want this or that and so like i think that argument goes out the window too because i i always argue from the place of human need um you know especially when i'm working with children of color if i'm in a school people like people love to say well black kids don't want to learn poor kids Mm -hmm. don't want to learn i'm like you a lie and the truth ain't in you like if you give them a reason to want to there is no human who doesn't want something yeah you are lying to yourself if Mm -hmm. you say that yeah and that's a little bit about a little bit of what we talked about in our last episode which is like what is it about and I'm kind of posing this to you, Ethan. Um, what is it about Donald Trump's message that is so compelling? Like, I mean, like it's easy to dismiss his supporters, right? But right. he has more supporters than dare I say Beyonce. How many followers does Beyonce have on Twitter and Instagram? Like, he has a lot of supporters. What is it about his message yeah. that is yeah. so compelling to people? Because 
there are two dichotomous bubbles in our country, it seems like. Um, I'm not yeah. getting the same information that Donald Trump supporters are. And they're not getting the same information that I'm getting. <laughs> what is so compelling about his message? Well, ironically, um, and this was not in my homework for this podcast, but I actually just it's a finished pop quiz, watching nigga. this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I was watching this movie, um, Richard Jewell. It's a movie directed by Clint Eastwood that came out in 2019. It's about it's a, um, a man who worked as a security guard in Georgia in 1996 during the Olympic Park bombing in Atlanta. And um, he was falsely accused of being the bomber mm-hmm. of uh, the, the man who set off the Olympic Park bomb. Um, and the whole movie is about how, you know, there was this sort of uh, campaign between like the FBI, um, the, uh, the media, the local press. Um, and which eventually became the national press and the federal government. And they were all like conspiring against this guy who was, you know, harmless guy. He was the first person to find uh, the bomb. He was the first person to find the bomb. He was the one who, you know, got everyone away and ostensibly saved a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And it takes you kind of through, you know, this man's life. And I mean, I remember, I mean, looking at it, you know, now looking at it to, uh, two weeks out of a presidential election. I feel like this kind of gets me um, in the mode of your question. I mean, is like, while I was watching it, I stopped myself and I was like, I could tell, I mean, I don't know how much uh, people know about Clint Eastwood, but he's a very Republican, uh, conservative. A bigot? Um, supporter. Oh. <laughs> he's a very, he's a very Republican person. He was the old guy. Um, I'm sure a lot of people saw this clip where um, at a Republican convention, he talked to like an empty chair as if Barack Obama were sitting there and yeah. said a bunch of like horrible things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But so like this movie comes out in the midst of uh, or on the cusp of an election. And all I could think about was like, you know, this guy, this Richard Jewell guy, this is a Trump supporter. These, mm-hmm. these are or these are since these are the people who do support Donald Trump and they feel this weight against them of like these institutions. Um, the guy used to work out of college, used to work campus security out of college, got kicked out of the college. And in the movie, the uh, the president of the college was the one who fired him from his security job there. Um, and he was also the one who uh, raised who the concern, called the FBI and told them that, mm-hmm. he, that he raised the suspicions that he might be the bomber. No, and so way. like I'm looking at that and I'm like, you know, uh, college you know institutions like what do conservatives think about college institutions mm-hmm. what do they think about you know the federal government what do they think about the media um what well, do they think they're about elitists. You know, <laughs> right. all those institutions and are viewed as elitist institutions they're elitist and they're like bearing down on these people mm-hmm. and so it's like no wonder they want someone to come in and up in all of those institutions mm. make them seem worthless and yeah. make those people seem valid and worthwhile and validated and their own identities. And so I think that, you know, sets a perfect stage. It's, it's like a powder keg for yeah. someone like Donald Trump to enter and to take advantage. And here and here he is. And so he has taken advantage of <laughs> people's discontent, ill content. And I guess I'm like. All, all of the, all of this sort of tension and animosity exists and it was sort of it was it was certainly bubbling under the surface when john mccain ran against barack obama and was it oh eight um those sort of tensions were there and mccain as the career politician and like captain of decorum that he is sort of kept them at bay but they just kept building even outside of the powers of the political elites, right? Like John McCain, Mitt Romney, they, they couldn't do anything about this swell of like sentiment that (laughs) Barack Obama is a goddamn Muslim and he's not a citizen. He like, he's tricking (laughs) everyone, but me, like he somehow was president for two terms without even being a natural born citizen. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, I'm just like, I mean, we're old enough now um, 
to be able to look back and say, yeah, I watched this sort of rise. Um, right. It, I mean, like it was given, it was given way well before like our political consciousness. Like we can thank, I think Newt, Gin, Newt Gingrich, but we watched the rise of it um, in the late, in the late sort of 2000s, 2010 period. Um, so that's sort of like the context, the background. We talked about it a little bit in our last, in our last episode. Now, here we are, we have, you know, talk about unprecedented, a sitting president who has lost his bid for reelection. And he has, you know, he's warned us that he has no interest in a peaceful transition of power. Mm. Um, but here he is now flatly refusing to accept the results of the election. And my question is, where do we go from here? I mean, it, we could either ask sort of like, what is the situation, right? Defer to Ethan, uh, what's the situation? But then ultimately, like, where do we go from here? Like, at some point, he's going to have to concede. We know that. But what damage is being done has been done. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it remains to be seen. It's a hard question. The, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember this clip. It was from the, uh, the two, 2016 debates. And Hillary Clinton basically says, like, Every time Donald Trump loses something, he claims it's rigged. He disregards it. He says it's illegitimate. Um, when he lost an Emmy, um, he said it was rigged. And <laughs> and as soon as she says that, Trump uh, cuts in, speaks low into his microphone, and he says, it was. <laughs> like, he doesn't <laughs> let these things go. Like, he believes this. Um, and, and, like, it's a part of who he is, and it's something that we've known for, you know, five years that, that this – day would ultimately come one day. Um, the thing that surprises me the most is like, you know, Helene, you uh, pointed to it before about, you know, you had these quote unquote serious uh, establishment Republican politicians who used to give this stuff no mind. Mm -hmm. um, but like now you have, you know, Republicans like uh, Mitch McConnell and like some of these other people at the higher levels of government who are like, I don't know, indulging Trump's like refusal to accept reality. And that's terrifying. <laughs> I, I feel like also, you know, completely outside of the realm of politics, this is just the nature of white supremacy. Mm. I just did a um, webinar on white supremacy and like one of the tenets of white supremacy being this defensiveness is what the uh the reference calls it and it defines it as a culture around power that expends much energy to keep power structured the way that it is mm. and so um i feel like we are seeing that play out right now where no matter how many elections he loses, no matter how many votes we count, we have to expend all of our energy to keep things the way that it works best for us. Mm -hmm. And so like I am, and Ethan, I, I've talked to Halim about this a little bit, but like I have been very withdrawn from the messaging around the election. What I don't know what conservatives are being fed. I don't know what they're saying. I don't really know. I just learned two weeks ago what a white liberal was. Like Face. I don't engage in these spaces and these conversations, but like the more I learn because I kind of hold myself off and I've been studying white supremacy throughout the entire quarantine. So when somebody introduces these political frames to me, I'm like, oh, that's just white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's been so little about the details of all of this that have surprised me mm -hmm. because white people are just doing what white people have always done, Face. which is upholding supremacy. So yep. like, I'm not surprised at all. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we say, where do we go from here? The question has always like that. The answer to that question has always been the same. We either co-sign white supremacy or we destroy it. Mm -hmm. And every time prior to now, you see what we've chosen. Yeah. So, you know, it's highly unlikely that we'll choose something different this time, mm -hmm. but at least we're trying, you know, like there's mm -hmm. more, there are more white people 
open to hearing that the way they've lived their life is wrong. Mm -hmm. I had a webinar with 34 white people on it on uh, Friday, and we talked about the tenets of white supremacy, and there was not a single naysayer on the webinar. Mm. And I'll take 35. <laughs> I'll take it. It's a start, damn it. <laughs> you know, like, I ain't got more no than I have a symbol. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So I'll take it. <laughs> but I, I, that's how I feel about where, like, where do we go from here? It's really on, as it always has been, it's on, it's on white folks real heavy right now, right. how this like what the after effects of this is mm -hmm. because black folks we're peddling the same message save that small percentage of black men who voted donald trump but uh <laughs> you know we've been pushing we the talk same about them message niggas? what'd you say can we talk about them niggas go finish yeah. uh -huh. we said we um them, uh, like you know we we've been on brand you mm. know for a while mm. black folks been on brand for a while yeah and so I be looking at white folks and like a lot of people when I tell them or people will ask me or like somebody will refer someone to me and be like, so tell me a bit about your work. The <laughs> first thing I say to them is you don't need to know about my work if you can't handle statements like these. White people have a lot of responsibility <laughs> on what to do in America and my work reflects that. <sighs> so like we don't need to continue this conversation if you have a problem with that statement. <sighs> and so like it's I think I think there is a um there there's a there's a pressure bearing down on white folks right now and I I really hope they take up the charge. Um and I think it's it's cool that they actually can't do this without us. White people don't know enough about whiteness or anything else mm. to change america yeah like the the 13 tenets of white supremacy was brand new material to the 35 white people on that webinar that that's and these a, were they were school leaders and wow. they did not know how to codify white supremacy and so it's like oh and so let me tell you i'm making my bank off the fact that these <laughs> folks need, they need us. That's a word because white folks don't know a lot about whiteness and people of color. We know everything about it. Um, but even more to the point, like there's so much work to be done. And I, I really believe, and I've said this in, in almost all of the circles that I sort of run in, I think the bottom is falling out. Like I think whiteness is is at its precipice it's sort of perched pretty precariously at the precipice it's about to fall over it, it like the bottom is falling out and it's almost time up because whiteness has been placed in this predicament where it's like either you get with this or you get with this. It's like you get with Donald Trump and his sort of overt overtures of just like racist, sexist, homophobia, xenophobia. Or you get with, dare I say, like this sort of non-progressive false harmony that Joe Biden is peddling. And people are caught in the middle. Um, and, and a lot of our current sort of national national political climate is is identity politics. It's mm -hmm. well, I'm a Christian, so I've got like I wish you know. There's interviews of folks saying I wish Donald Trump would stay off Twitter, but I'm going to vote for him. I wish he wouldn't <laughs> say the shit he said about women or the shit he said about uh, Mexicans, but I got to vote for him because he's pro life. And so like as we get out of the weeds of identity politics and really start to name and create for ourselves the bottom of whiteness, it, it, it's falling out. And I think we may potentially be in an extinction burst. Um, but I Hell think, yeah. I think the bottom is necessarily, I think it's falling out. Bottom is falling out of whiteness. Yeah. The end of one whiteness. of the ways I put it to a friend of mine specifically around this idea, like, what I was I was floored by 2016. I know that's crazy for a black guy to say. I, <laughs> not that I didn't believe that. Well, in in a lot of ways, I'm I'm very optimistic and and 
I mean, uh, no one probably. thought Donald Trump didn't even think he was going to win. Like, let's be real. <laughs> no, seriously, his team yeah, didn't no, expect to true. win. That's true. Um, so no one expected that win. But go, go on. Yeah. So I, I was surprised by it, but I, I attempted to learn something um, mm-hmm. over the last four years, and and the way I put it to a friend of mine was like. I feel like white people have to be put in a very, very difficult situation where um, what Donald Trump did, I felt I felt like was like held up a mirror to white people and showed mm. that this is exactly how bigoted and ugly like mm-hmm. it can get Yep. In, in American politics, in this country, in society. This is how ugly it can get. Yep. And, you know, what I felt like we had to do and what I you know, I was a big time early supporter of Joe Biden. And part of that was um, from this place of like, we have to strip away all that, all the excuses, the the pro-life stuff, the, you know, I'm conservative stuff, the he's good for the economy stuff. We have to strip all that away and make it so that like, basically white people have to choose, like you can choose someone who's like, blatantly you know bigoted or you can choose someone who at least vocally outright like rejects that stuff but keeps all the other things he's just he's just as non-progressive like Colleen said he's just as harmless to uh changing the economy in any real way he said it himself that you know he's not going to do that sort of thing it's like if it's really about the economy then this is your economy person if you're choosing Donald Trump you're choosing him for something else and like you can't say like, oh, I would have voted uh, for the Democrat, but it's a woman in Elizabeth Warren, or I would have voted for the Democrat, but it's a socialist in Bernie Sanders. Like, no, this is Donald Trump without the racism. So you have to choose whether you want Donald Trump or you want <laughs> Donald Trump without the racism. And I feel like, I mean, we see it. Like, it was a hard choice down to like, <laughs> down to the state for these people. Like, it was hard for them to decide whether they care about racism or or the economy. <laughs> did you that see the best to care about? Like, did you see the? Uh, I don't. I have no idea what news station it was, but did you see the news anchor who asked that other white dude? He said, "Would you, if Donald Trump said he was a racist, would you support him?" And the man <laughs> said, "He was like, I mean, it depends on who else was running." <laughs> So white folks don't give a fuck. It's a hard choice, and we had to and we had to make it hard. And I mean, you know, Joe Biden got what fifty percent of the vote. Like hundred and fifty million people had to weigh in in order to decide whether or not it was more important to like have open bigotry and like complete incompetence from the White House. Donald Trump or, said, "I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and my they would still vote for me." And Late the late the late night comedy folks went out and asked people and they were like, you know, yeah, I would I would still vote. He could he could shoot someone in the middle of it. Yes, I would still vote for him. Yes, absolutely. I love him. I love it. I love his hatred. You know, <laughs> his before, putrid animus. And I love his hate. <laughs> um I think, you know, before we pop to black men who voted for Trump. Oh God. I think that's very telling, Helene. And again, you know, I'm very attuned to the humanity of the United States and just like the people around me. I think it is very telling that my need for validation, like my need as the voter, whoever says like he could shoot somebody and I still vote for him, my need to be reaffirmed in this identity that I think Donald Trump is projecting and that I think represents me, my need is so high that I could watch him kill somebody Mm -hmm. and my need would still be just as high. And like, you know, I'm... I'm I'm working on making some material that like comes from this human stance of why someone voted for Trump um because I put out a I put out this question on my Facebook page where I said white people respond did you think the election would be this close why or why not that post got 1800 engagements and like from everything from 
I didn't like I'm shocked because I didn't know that there were this many people who were racist. I I'm not surprised, but like I'm sad or and so you know it 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 lets me know that we are aware that there is a large subset of people in the United States who are in need. And if we were really about this life, I have to turn the same social justice lens on the poor white folks in Appalachia who are still flying Trump Pence flags as I do on the poor black kids on the north side of Nashville. Mm. Those two sets of people humanistically have the same need. I want to hate one set of them and love the other, Mm. but they are very similar at the core. They have the same need to be heard and affirmed. And that's where I'm pushing myself. When you said, Ethan, you pushed yourself to learn something in 2016, that's my 2020 push right now is we're not so different, you and I. And it's it's a very (laughs) unpopular take right now, but I'm, I'm with it, you know? Yeah. Um God, I I am agonizing over this next conversation that we just have to have. But <laughs> we, 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 we gotta call them bro- they're brothers. We gotta call them brothers. Yeah, we are we responsible to, we, for them. They are our brothers. And we're their keepers. Yeah. These brothers who voted for Donald Trump. Now let me say before we jump in. I fully expected Donald Trump to win re-election because a it is uncommon for a sitting president. It's only happened twice in modern history for a sitting president to lose re-election. Um, and then B, like, you know, with the pandemic, Donald Trump did the best job firing up his base. Apparently he fired up the other base as well. (laughs) He did so good a job. He fired up the other base as well, but Donald Trump fired up his base. So I fully expected him to win. Um, I'm obviously thankful they didn't, but, and we're going to obviously talk about the sisters who held it down um, and made possible possible. Uh, But these brothers who, what, why, when, where, what? I hear tell. I hear tell. I hear tell say, brothers said Donald Trump <laughs> is the one. Go ahead, Ethan. What you got? Yeah. What you got to tell us? Because I don't know. I mean, so I mean, well, you know, I I listen to a lot of rap, and Uh-oh. Donald Trump has been a part of like rap music um, since like some of my earliest memories. He's either you know on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air or uh, reference and songs like um i don't know we have this like aspirational capitalist instinct that mm. is like bred into us from an early age i wonder where that and, comes from. and he's personified mm. in that you know mm-hmm. yeah donald trump is personified in that um and i think a lot of people for a lot of different reasons i think i think you start with that right like just him being a part of like one of the only white, rich white people or rich people that a lot of young black men like uh, can acknowledge, black men of a certain age uh, can point to. Um, and then, I mean, there's always this thing about like wanting to be different. And I think that's that's a bigger part uh, of the conversation, especially as like, uh, I feel like a lot of this comes into tension kind of uh, with like, the rise of like Black Lives Matter as a, as not just a movement, but like as a, I guess like a amorphous organization, like the the activists inside of it, and what leads the conversation around like racial justice in this country, and and more to the point, who leads the conversation in this country about racial justice? And I think that for a certain type of of black man, it's a problem um, to see so much of blackness for so long blackness black identity in this country was centered around like male identity black men um and now we're being asked to think about other people who are not black men who are not straight black men who are not cisgender black men we're asked to think about a lot of other people and that's uncomfortable for a lot of guys and so they're kind of pushing back against a lot of that conversation 
<laughs> and and I mean, they end up, you know, doing the ultimate uh, <clears throat> disservice to the community and yeah. um, reelecting a white supremacist or <laughs> attempting to reelect. I I like the how the first point you made, which is this sort of the guise and the illusion that capitalism feeds us from an early age, especially those of us who are born in the communities of limited resources where, you know, this, there's this prevailing and prevalent message that, you know, whether it be through hard work or sheer luck or pure talent or something other than white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, you too can become a millionaire billionaire like Donald Trump because, um, and and let me just say for the record, I don't believe Donald Trump is a billionaire. Um, I think it's actually very (laughs) unlikely. Uh, Jeff Bezos is not going to ever make a reality television show. He'll probably never participate in a documentary. Um, Donald Trump, might have a net worth of like a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> he, he has a lot of debt. His debt. He has a lot of debt, and he can at least at one point he could get a good loan. Uh, I don't think he's a billionaire, <laughs> but there is this there is this message, you know, that you know if you have talent or smarts or or some combination of these sort of ethereal qualities you will be a millionaire or or there's like these secrets that you just got to untap and boom you got it and donald trump represents that not just for black and brown people who supported him but for you know middle america it's like look at this guy he got a small loan from his father of a million dollars and after that he's a self-made man you know he's a billionaire Um, not the small loan of a million dollars that's 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 how he calls it now that is um that is i'm sorry never mind just go on. face go on not the small <laughs> loan of a million dollars yeah yeah that's what he says if you don't get your antithetical ass, oh, bus ass. <laughs> man right when they i well, shoot as soon as they shot me to the moon it was the sky's the limit for <laughs> that ass. as oh, soon shoot. as i got to another planet i was uh, on ass. oh shoot for the he stars made the, he made that a- <laughs> He made that a million in first dollar himself. Dang, shit. <laughs> Ugly yeah. ass. Not yeah. that a million in first. That's funny. <laughs> you know, after that, it was self-made. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there are some, there are brothers who said, you know, Trump is it. And it's disheartening. And I believe that we have an obligation to get into their hearing and 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 yeah. figure out, you know, what is that disconnect? Because we all know Trump ain't it. Um, but I, I'm all, I'm also thankful for um, for the butt in our community. Um, and that's B with B U with one T that is. Uh, <laughs> but for black women who showed up. Um, and really just like, like, can we, can we all just agree right now? Stacey Abram led the, she didn't single handedly, but she led the charge to turn Georgia blue. And, and that's the difference between black women and black men by and large is like, they go, okay, here's this bad fucked up thing that happened to me. I want to ensure and guarantee it don't happen to nobody else that comes after me. <laughs> And niggas right. be like, ah, that was fucked up, but y'all on your own. You don't have to learn just like I did. <laughs> Stacy said, oh, okay, bet. Y'all want to steal a whole governor's seat from me? I got you. Watch got what happens. In, I got something for that. Watch what happens in 2020. I got you. Right. I, hey, it's cool. <laughs> you, you know, well, the fucking secretary of state, the nigga in charge of the election was also running in the election. Stole the yeah. election. She said, okay, <laughs> bet. Place himself there. Got uh, it. Two things. I uh, I want to put a lid on the last uh, part of the conversation about black men, mm-hmm. it, because I don't black think men. this get, I don't think this gets said enough, and I do think it's worth something. Black men were the second highest voting demographic for uh, against Donald Trump for Joe Biden. And, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Thank yeah, you. Um, I didn't know that. And I think that we gotta say that. Like, yes, there are black men who are obviously, you know for any number of reasons supporting Donald Trump, but I think it's important to also mention that we're the second highest voting demographic of all demographics. 
Ethan, uh, coming, Ethan coming through with the exculpatory statistic. <laughs> <laughs> Stacey Abrams, um, what she did in Georgia, I mean, obviously that was phenomenal, um, phenomenally transformative for the community. But what she did, like her individual like effort and what she did, if a white man had done that, he'd be... I mean, honestly, he'd be president, probably, right? Like, mm-hmm. he'd be a billionaire. He'd be all these things. Um, and she deserves every bit of, you know, recognition and reward for her efforts that anyone else um, in similarly situated would receive. Yeah. I um I want to tag on to that two things as well. Um, first, with the black men, um, I think again, turning that human social justice lens onto the Black men who did vote for Donald Trump, it does not take a lot to mobilize the disenfranchised. Mm. Like, if somebody is down in the dumps, go find a homeless person right now and say, I'll give you a sandwich to run from this end of the block to the next. When somebody is down, and talk about like man black men been down for a minute in the united states and so um i don't know i think it's i i think it's important to give them that that human element not relieving you of your duties and your responsibility to not vote for another nigga like this but i get it i see i see i see how you got duped i see how you got fooled Pad. um bamboozled Run a hood, hoodwink, hoodwink. <laughs> Let us straight. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So like, I don't know. I, I've heard I've heard a conversation around this before about uh, black men who voted for Trump or, and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And like, there was this conver- there was this like dichotomy pitched about how like as black men, like we also like are more uh, taught about like individualism like we we don't have like a collectivist instinct as much as like other people in our community might have mm-hmm. um i was just wondering like what you thought about that from like a sort of like psychological that's so interesting because my second point i was about to make is that there are two i've got the actual the tenets of white supremacy pulled up that i was about to reference one of them is individualism Mm -hmm. i was not about to reference that one but let me (laughs) let me come back to that okay the two that it made me think about all right there's a there's a tenant called quantity over quality. Mm. When you said if a white man had done what Stacey Abrams did, that that white man would be wealthy and he would be president. So the way that this uh, they describe this tenant is that there is very little emphasis on the process. It, when you're valuing quantity over quality, the the only thing that matters is the product. The only mm. thing that matters is the result. And so for Stacey Abram to have been seen as successful to white right. folks, she had to flip the state. Mm, if right. she had gotten one vote under flipping the state, mm. white people wouldn't have said anything Mm -hmm. they would not have acknowledged the whole process they would not have said she registered all like a four hundred thousand or eight hundred thousand people to vote over the course of four years like it has to have a favorable outcome for white Mm -hmm. supremacists to acknowledge it and so that is why somebody like donald trump gets a pass all the way up the the latter no political experience because when we look at him where he is he has the most favorable outcome of a capitalist mm-hmm. he's wealthy mm-hmm. yep. and so everything else doesn't matter i don't care mm-hmm. how he got it i don't care how he got there i don't care who he killed to get there he's got the product so we were voting for him then when you talk about individualism um i think this is usually when i take on a client my first introduction uh, to their leadership team is this presentation on individualism versus collectivism. Mm. And um, there's this study from 1971 um, by Triandis et al. 
who they they did this survey on like 200 some people and they were from 70 different countries they mapped the results of the survey onto a coordinate plane that was in the four quadrants if you were upper right quadrant you were very collectivist if you were mm-hmm. bottom right bottom left quadrant you were very individualist mm-hmm. when they mapped all the countries everybody above the x-axis in uh collectivism they're all people of color mm-hmm. everybody wow. in the bottom is white people mm-hmm. and for across all different nations and mm-hmm. so when we think about this individualism that seeps in i think it's because maleness is the most akin to whiteness in the united states it's the mm-hmm. next rung of privilege white versus so capitalist patriarchy yep Yeah. And so that's why black men are susceptible to individualism, because I can look at Donald Trump from my disenfranchised seat and say, well, he's a man and I'm a man. So I could at least consider what he did. I can Mm. at least think about individualism. We have something in common. Mm -hmm. My skin may be different, but I I, I'm next in line after him Mm -hmm. in in Mm. my mind. Mm-hmm. And right. so I think that's where it comes from. I think that's why we're more susceptible than black women mm-hmm. because they don't even have the entry to Donald Trump of maleness. We have mm-hmm. it. We can in our in our private room, we can convince ourselves that we're closer to him than we are. Yeah. Zora Hurston writes about that in the 20s in Their Eyes Are Watching Guys. She says, the nigger woman is the mule of the world. And I'm not going to try to paraphrase because, you know, that wouldn't do it justice. But she captures it um, as eloquently as Zora Hurston can. Um, as as time winds up, we, we got to get into yeah. this edge up. And we've got... <laughs> We would be remiss if we didn't edge up um, the one and only the Donald. Um, and that's a shame with the uh, his hair, his yearly hair budget as per his tax return. Hey, with seventy thousand dollars, seventy thousand. That's a shame. Yeah, still need an edge. Still need an edge up. See, if he would just go to a black barber, we could have foregone all of this. <laughs> y'all see, have y'all seen the installs that they do for black men? Now? Oh my God! Yes, let me tell I you. So I was like, Beijing. I said, yeah. um, I'm just glad to know that that exists, just in case. <laughs> I get to a point where I need it because let me tell you what, I will be the first in line. Let me find out I need it. Don't don't look at me funny. Don't 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 ask me no questions. I yes, I got an install. Yes, I have a unit on, and you can kiss my ass. <laughs> um, as the uh, you know, as I get a little bit older, my forehead is getting a little bit. Uh, anyway, uh, Donald oh. Trump. <laughs> Um, why don't we why don't we whip around and sort of we'll line him up and then we'll wrap it up. Um, who wants to start us off? You want me to you want me to start? I'll start. Go ahead. The thing that got me is I want you first. Actually, I got two things. First of all, Uh-oh. the inability to mm. understand. That counting yeah. is not a singular event. Yeah. So if <laughs> somebody pours out a bag of M and M's, I have to count them one at a time. Mm-hmm. All of them. I I to gotta count all of them, mm-hmm. and it could take me depending on how fast I count, depending on how good my my measuring system is, my record keeping, or when they somebody, came in, yeah. or when they got here. Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah. might finish today. Mm-hmm. Somebody might finish tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But guess what? We gotta count all the M and M's if yeah. we want to know the answer. <laughs> if we want to know how many M and M's there are, we have to count them all. How right. is that difficult? Mm-hmm. How did you convince yourself yeah. that the election day is the only day we're electing someone? Mm-hmm. I get, <laughs> I get that the name is misleading mm-hmm. for someone <laughs> who struggles mm-hmm. with critical thought. I understand election day that is a <laughs> misnomer. Yes. To a dumb person. <laughs> but, <laughs> come on, man. Some things take longer than a day. The second thing is, 
my man said, I want you to stop counting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I would lose, uh-huh. but I want you to keep counting. Yes, where I would win. <laughs> so you don't understand. You don't understand extraneous variables. Yeah, you don't understand the scientific method where for something to be tried and true and proven, it has to go through the same process as the other things. Yeah. So like you just don't <laughs> understand cohesiveness. You know the I. Apple has this new feature called continuity Mm -hmm. that I have been using a lot. When somebody texts me something, but I need it on my iPad, I can now click a button and it pops it over and says, do you want to open this link on your iPad? If I want it on my computer, I can click a button and it says, do you want to open this on your computer? These things are connected. Yeah. I can't just be like, I want Apple to know what I'm doing on my phone, but the computer that they also made, yeah. that ain't none of their business. <laughs> no, like it's the whole thing. You can't just do the part you want to do can't, yeah. and be like, what? Mm-mm. I'm just so that's my whole thing, bro. Get, get a, a general understanding of processes. Yeah, that's all I need. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> what you got, Ethan? For the for the Donald. Oh man. I mean I, I mean you, like Remington said a lot of it. You so I would go, but I don't want to steal your thunder because you helped me understand, you know. I asked Ethan very straightforward, like, hey, is it possible or probable that Donald Trump is staging <laughs> A coup d'etat, as we've seen in less de- less politically developed democracies. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't. I mean, no, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's not possible. Like, I, I don't. I I wish I knew a simpler way to say this, but uh, well, I guess I do have one for uh, the president. You lost. Yeah, and like. That's it. Like it's it's over. I don't yeah. know. Like I it's like um if so um the uh the Kansas City Chiefs won the a- the the division title for the AFC last year and they were going to be in the Super Bowl. So like you could say at the end of that game the Kansas City Chiefs have made it to the Super Bowl. You could also wait the the two months until February when the Super Bowl is played. And say that the Kansas City Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, <laughs> yeah. but it was it that happened already. Yeah, as soon as the AFC Championship was over. Yeah, like they were in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we can wait and we can go through you know recounts and and um, do all these court cases that are frivolous. These lawsuits. I mean, it's a very litigious society. He has every mm-hmm. right to um, to pursue any means in the court, but. He lost, and and it's over, and there's there's nothing else to do. Yeah, for him. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's it. For me, it is you know, there is either this willful recklessness where he is you know fueling um, a degree of uncertainty about our democratic processes. Um, thereby, you know, just putting in the first sort of brick in the foundation, the cornerstone, as it were, to delegitimizing our electoral system, which some could argue is already illegitimate, but, um, (laughs) you know, laying, laying the foundation for future frivolous claims to, you know, election outcomes, or, um, he, has a really severe misunderstanding of how these things work. Um, I'm frankly more inclined to believe the former is true, that Donald Trump is a reckless individual and only cares about his own self-interest, which is disappointing. Uh, But the most disappointing thing about that is he was elected democratically by (laughs) by, uh, people who believed in his message and his ability. And, you know, he is a saboteur. He is a provocateur. Um, And I forget which one of you said it, but Donald Trump has held a mirror to America. And 
folks have decided, folks have chosen and they've spoken. And um, I'm most interested in where where we happen to go from here. What does it look like? Um, is it is it you know I have a I have a son, a black son on the way. Uh, what is his future going to look like in 10, 15, 20 years? Um, hell, what the fuck is my future going to look like in five, Man. ten years? Right? Like I live in the I can't carry I can't keep my shit on me like I like to keep it on me, even <laughs> though all of my neighbors have Trump signs and they're disenchanted and they're disenfranchised and they're disheartened um, and they're angry and. Um, I mean, I dare them to take their frustrations out on me, um, but it's possible. So I think I oh, you live in them Western nigga woods. Oh yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> in the sticks. Um, you know, I think times, and not to say that they've ever been certain, uh, mm-hmm. but I at least am feeling the uncertainty of the times, and um, I I I hope that sometime soon we can reconcile or smarten up but um and and i would hope that we could put donald trump behind us i don't think that he's gonna let that happen Mm. um yeah but yeah donald trump is a bitch-ass nigga and (laughs) that's that's what i really got for you um i think you know not to let myself close this out but uh notwithstanding any closing thoughts um thank you all for listening and thanks to you brothers for joining the conversation i hope we can do it again soon yeah this was great thank you ethan for coming on this was it was just nice to share the space with uh, um another black male um you know we have we got a lot to offer out here and the black men and black women need to hear need to hear these conversations because like i you know i'm 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 starting to get to understand why the the phrase men are trash is so popular because there ain't enough of this out Mm. there so yeah we got to keep putting this content out that's for sure Mm. yeah uh that's the biblical uh iron sharpens iron so does one man sharpen another facts um Go ahead, Ethan. But I, I just want to say I appreciate y'all. Um, if I've said anything uh, to your audience that they might find compelling, please, uh, please uh, come uh, over to the Blank Agenda and listen to us. One good time. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Ethan Zebediah. <coughs> follow me on there as well. For sure, yeah. Go follow, go follow our man's Ethan. I know I'm about to. Um, also follow our show, Two Teachers and a Mic. Uh, on Instagram and Twitter, all socials at the number two teachers underscore on my face. Face, I did have to remember. Hey, it is. I got like seven Instagram accounts. Hey, burner account. Hey, I don't have a burner. Okay. Hey, if y'all follow me, you getting this work. Ain't none of these accounts face. Face. So I just want y'all to know every day you gonna get some shit to challenge whiteness. So follow all of them, damn it. All right, y'all. That's our show. Thanks for listening. All right.